Well, good evening. How are you tonight? Are you glad to be here? Oh, good. We've got a little different crowd tonight. Welcome those of you who are here for the first time, or maybe you're here for Sabbath morning and you're just getting here now. Uh, those of you who were here last night, before we begin with prayer, can you tell me what it was we covered? Yeah, the seven churches. One person was paying attention. And what did we learn the purpose of the seven churches was? And I'll give you a hint. It's the reason they're also a candlestick. To shed light. And what is that light? The truth. Specifically the truth about who? About God. Do you realize that we were brought into existence for that purpose? The reason this Advent movement exists is because we were called to give the last warning message to a dying world. How many believe that? And what is that message? It's the revelation of God's character of love. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Precious Father, thank you for your goodness tonight. And as we start, I want to ask that your spirit would be with us. Illuminate our minds and, Father, touch our hearts. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Does everyone have an outline? Did you grab an outline on the way in? How many need an outline? Raise your hand if you need one. All right. We're passing them out. Keep your hands raised high if you need one. And they'll bring you one. Tonight is one of the most thrilling sections of the book of Revelation for me. I grew up once again watching Star Wars and all kinds of wild things. Anybody else grow up watching stuff like that? Yeah. And you know, we would go to church on Sunday mornings and it was just so boring. And I never knew that anything really exciting was in the scriptures. And before I found God's love for me, to be honest with you, there's nothing that compares to God's love. Amen? Is that exciting? Yeah, does that touch us and move us and change our life? But in addition to all of that stuff, there's also some pretty wild stuff in the Bible, isn't there? Have you ever stopped to look at some of the stuff that we don't give credit to because we live in a postmodern age where everything has to be scientific? Have you noticed that? There's some things that are in the scriptures that don't fit into our scientific age too well. Have you seen them? Some of those are found tonight in Revelation chapter 4. We're going to be looking at chapter 4, 5. I know it says in 6, but we're going to go ahead and do 7 as well in the first little part of 8. And so we need to be trucking. It says in Revelation 4, starting in verse 1, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Now put yourself in John's sandals, if you will. Stand there on the coastline of the Isle of Patmos with him. And he sees this door open in heaven. And then the first voice which I heard was like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me and he could understand it because he heard it say what come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things he's about to see what's going to take place in the future immediately I was in the spirit and behold a throne standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne now remember this is about what's taking place afterwards correct correct but John, let me give you a little heads up. John is about to be taken into the literal throne room of heaven. And he is going to look on as others are also shown things which must soon take place. He's going to be as a spectator there. It says he that sat on the throne. 
He who was sitting was like a jasper stone, a sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. And around the throne were, what does it say? 24 thrones. And upon the thrones I saw 24 what? Elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Now, John has just been ushered into the sanctuary in heaven. How many believe that? Is that where God dwells right now? He's in the sanctuary, and in that sanctuary he sees a throne, he sees an individual sitting there, but he doesn't just see him, he sees more than one throne. How many does he see circling that throne? Twenty-four. And who's sitting on those thrones? Twenty-four. Who are these elders? Any ideas? Why twenty-four of them? Possibly. Represent God's people? Possibly. Why 24? Look over in your grace section as I've got you thinking. In First Chronicles 24, it's interesting. Where are we at? We're in the heavenly sanctuary, in the throne room. And in the earthly sanctuary, was there 20, were there 24 elders? Absolutely there were. I'll show them to you. It says, now the divisions of the descendants of who? Aaron were these, the sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. But Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no sons. So Eleazar and Ithamar served as priests. Then it says, David divided the descendants of Eleazar and Ithamar according to the officers for their ministry. And if you go through this list, go all the way down to verse 18. It says the 23rd for Deliah. And then the, what does it say? How many divisions within the priests were there there in the earthly sanctuary? 24. Isn't that interesting? Anyone find that interesting? And so we look at the sanctuary in heaven and we also find 24 what? Elders. There's always these parallels between the earthly sanctuary and the heavenly. After all, wasn't the earthly made after a pattern of those things which would be in heaven? As we go further, it says, and out of the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Over and over again, we'll see lightning, earthquakes, peals of thunder in the book of Revelation. It says, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before their throne. Were there seven lamps burning or a seven lamp golden candlestick in the earthly sanctuary? Was there? Yes. And notice what it says. And we don't need to add to the scriptures. We just need to believe them. Amen. John is literally there looking at these things. He sees these seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven what? Where have we heard of those before? Have we seen those before in the book of Revelation? Do you remember night number one? It talked about the seven spirits and I made the mention how many churches were there? How many trumpets were there? How many seals were there? How many plagues are there? Yeah, and how many spirits are before the throne? And what represented those in the earthly sanctuary? The seven golden candlesticks. And it's interesting, we can get a sense of the role of these seven spirits. These seven spirits are likened unto lights as well, are they not? It's interesting, when we look at the Holy Spirit, the one Holy Spirit, what was his role? He came as the comforter, but he would point us and remind us of who? Talk to me. To Jesus. He would point us to Jesus. These seven spirits hold a very similar role in that they are lights as well. Was Jesus a light? 
Yes. And what is that light once again significant of? Why are they called lights or, or candelabras? Why are they... What's the symbol for the light? It's truth. Specifically, the truth about whom? God. In every generation, the truth of God has been shining forth from heaven. Amen? Never has a man, woman, or child been born on planet earth where the light of heaven was not shining upon them every moment of their life. Has anyone ever escaped this light? No. God has been whispering to every individual. Some of us he's been shouting to, but he's at least been whispering to every individual the truth about his love for every one of us. My wife met a gentleman on the plane coming here. It's an interesting story. He was down and out, highly depressed, doubting whether or not God actually loved him. And he had a little bit of a history because up until recently, he had always felt like God wanted him to go to hell. That was God's decision for him. Can you imagine living with that kind of feeling? And he walks into, he's a white dude. Can I say that? It's part of the story. And it's in the South. And he's about to commit suicide. And he says to God, I'll give you one more chance. And so he finds the nearest church and he walks into it. And it's a black church. Now, what color is he? White dude. And he walks in. And everybody turns and looks at him. And in the South, they're still, I'm ashamed to admit it. But there's still a little contention between the races in the South. Are you aware of that? It shouldn't be. In God's kingdom, there's no place for it, amen? But in the South, it's still there. And as they turned and looked at him, they had the expression on their face like, you don't belong here. And then there was this little old lady, this gray-haired old lady. She got up and she walked over to him and she shook her finger at him. And she said, I've been waiting for you. And the story goes... That God had been giving this woman dreams about Joe. And she said, Joe, the first thing God wants you to know is you're not going to hell. He wants you to go to heaven. Has God been whispering his love to everyone on this planet? If we would just take the time to stop and listen. And does he do miraculous things sometime to get through to us? These seven spirits before the throne... There was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And, and it says, in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. Now, do you think God has created other beings besides us? Yes. And notice the description here. It says, the first creature was like a what? A lion. The second creature like a what? Like a calf. The third creature had the face of a, a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle and the four living creatures each one of them having six wings and are full of eyes around and within and day and night they do not cease to say holy 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 is the lord god the almighty who was and who is and who is to come and when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne to him who lives forever and ever the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and who who will worship him who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns before the throne saying worthy are you our lord And our God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And because of your will, they existed and were created. These four living creatures have posed a lot of problems for a lot of scholars. But I would like to suggest to you this morning 
that we need not add to the scriptures. Amen? Is Paul in the throne room? Is the throne room literal? Is the throne literal? Is the one sitting on the throne literal? Yes. Were the 24 elders literal? Yes. And could it be that there are actually four living creatures there whom God has created who hold this appearance before the throne today? Is that too Star Trekish? Is that too science fiction? I am afraid it's not because Ezekiel, if you look at Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10, and those are in your gray notes, we're not going to take time to, to read that. But Ezekiel saw these four creatures as well, did he not? And they were called seraphim. And it's interesting why the face of a lion, the face of a calf, the face of a man, and the face of an eagle. If you'll go back and study in Numbers, you'll see this in your gray space as well, in Numbers 1 and Numbers 2, you'll find that when the tribes of Israel would camp around the sanctuary, they camped in how many divisions? There was 12 of them. How many, how many divisions did those 12 tribes divide up into? Do you remember? Four. One on the north, one on the, one on the, and then one on the, that's right. Four divisions, three tribes in each, and each one of them camped under the banner of the leader of those three tribes. And you know what the leaders of those three tribes, each three tribe was? The first leader was Judah. And it's interesting, Judah was a what? A lion. The second was Reuben. Reuben's symbol on his standard was what? A man. Why? Because he was firstborn. That's what it says. You'll find all of this in those references. Ephraim was likened unto a calf or a bull. And it's interesting that Dan, do you remember Dan's description, his blessing? And, and uh, not really, I mean, it's called a blessing, but I don't see how it could be a blessing. In Genesis 49, do you remember what animal symbolized Dan? A serpent. He would be biting the heel of his brethren. It's interesting, as a side note, we're going to look at the 144,000 a little bit tonight. But Dan is not represented in the 144,000. Do you understand that? There's no place for those who bite the heel of their brethren in the kingdom of God. Do you understand that? But anyways, Dan didn't like that symbol. And so he changed it to the prey of that symbol. And what's the prey of the serpent? The eagle. And so the sign on his banner. But nonetheless, it's interesting to me that the banners there around the sanctuary had a lion, a man, a bull, and an eagle on those banners. And we get up to heaven and we see that amidst those 24 elders there in the sanctuary, there are also four living creatures that represent those tribes as well. Isn't that interesting to you? And as we continue on, it says, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a what? A book or a scroll. And it was written inside and on the back. And sealed up with seven seals. Now, flip over with me, if you will. We didn't have enough room. But if you'll flip over to page two, we're going to come right back to page one. But in the gray space on page two, you see where it says Ezekiel 2, 1 through 10? 
Go all the way to the bottom of that with me to verse 9. It says, then I looked and behold, Ezekiel saw a scroll much like this as well. It says, I I looked and behold, a hand was extended to me and lo, a scroll was in it. And notice the characteristic. When the scroll was spread out before me, it was written on the, what does it say? Front and on the back. And it says, and it was written on it, were written on it, lamentations, mornings, and what? Whoa. So what is in this scroll that's written on the front and on the back? Three things. Lamentations, mornings, and woe. But notice he goes on. Then he said to me, son of man, eat what you find. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he fed me this scroll. That's kind of an interesting imagery for Ezekiel to go through. And he said to me, son of man, feed your stomach, fill your body with this scroll, which I am giving you. What do you think that symbolized? You know, there's a lot of preachers out there who talk, but they don't follow the walk. And for Ezekiel to become equipped to share God's message of love and warning with those of his day, he needed to apply or have that message become a part of him. Did he not? And notice, then I ate it and it was sweet as honey in my mouth. And then he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. Go back to the front page. Here John is with this same imagery. And do you think John was familiar with the book of Ezekiel? And when he saw this scroll written beforehand and on the back, what do you think he began to think? As he remembered Ezekiel, that Ezekiel was given a scroll much like this with lamentations, mournings and woe. And he was commanded to apply that to himself and then go forth and share the word of the Lord. It says, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. Then I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, stop weeping. Now it's interesting. What's in the book according to Ezekiel? Lamentations, mornings and what? Whoa. Why was Ezekiel called to go forth and give those to Israel? Did God want Israel to be taken captive in Babylon? Did he want that for them? Was that his first choice for them? And he was sending Ezekiel to turn them from the rebellion so they would no longer remain in captivity. Isn't that true? Is Israel, is the church in captivity to Babylon today? Spiritual Babylon. Is the Christian church in captivity? To spiritual Babylon today. Yes. And this holds special application because John here sees that here is this roll, this scroll wrapped up with warnings for planet earth. But it's, it's not open. It's what? It's sealed. Something's coming upon, upon planet earth. And humanity needs to be warned. But the scroll is sealed and he begins to weep. Does he not? Who's going to tell them? Do you sense the urgency in John? They need to know. Notice what happens. Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. It's amazing. Jesus once again saves the day. Amen. Jesus is in the business of saving humanity 
from the mourning, woe, and lamentations that are coming on this planet. Does he want that for them? Does he want them to suffer? No. But once again, Jesus comes and he looses the seals. And we're going to see it. It says, I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders and the lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into out to all the earth. And he came and he took the book out of his right hand, the right hand of him who sat on the throne. I want to pause there for just a moment. What do eyes symbolize in the book of Revelation? Any ideas? Seers, okay, what else? What do we do with our eyes? We see, we perceive things. And this lamb who's been slain, he has seven eyes. What does that mean? He has perfect perception of all that's transpiring on planet Earth right now. Do you see that? But it also says he has seven horns, correct? And what do horns represent in prophecy? Do you remember? We're going to get into this further in the series, but what does it represent? Kingdoms or powers? Is his kingdom perfect? Jesus' kingdom, the Lamb. Is his kingdom, does he have full and complete perfect power? Does he? Now notice, you have a being here who has perfect perception. And he also has perfect and complete or all power. Do you see the symbolism? What would it be like for you? If you were perfectly aware right now on planet Earth of every rape, every murder, and every child molestation that is taking place on planet Earth tonight at 7.30, what would it be like for you? Now, what would it be like for you if you had the power to stop it, but couldn't? What would that be like for you? What does it mean here when this lamb has seven eyes and seven horns? Never a soul suffers that the throb of pain does not vibrate to his heart. Amen. And it goes further. And he came and he took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each one holding a harp and the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And it says, and they sang a new song, saying, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and, pur and purchased for God with your blood men. And I want you to notice this next word. What does it say? Men. From every Nate tribe, tongue, people, and nation. I would like to introduce to you tonight that in the Greek, it does not say men from every tribe. How many did Jesus give himself a ransom for? What the Greek actually says is that he purchased for God with his blood every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Do you see that? How many did Jesus die for? For all. How many did he give himself a ransom for? Look in 1 Timothy 2.6. Who gave himself a ransom for? How many? How many has he purchased? Oh. It says you have made them to be a kingdom. Does he force everybody to be a part of that kingdom? But has he purchased it for them nonetheless? 
It says, and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads of myriads, and thousands of thousands, saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive powers and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in the heaven and on the earth, under the earth and on the sea, all things in them I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing, glory, and honor, and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. Man, you know, there's a lot of churches that don't say that word. But can you imagine how many times amen is said in the throne room? By the way, I want to encourage you to say amen a lot during this series. Can you do that? Do, do you know what amen is like for a preacher? It's like saying, sick him to a dog. So will you do that for me? Amen. All right, I'll say it if you want. Thank you. And said, as the elders fell down and worshiped. So here's this lamb. He's loosing the seals so that earth can see what's coming upon it. Are you with me? But remember, who is this vision primarily for right now? John's there and the 24 elders are there. The four living creatures are there. And these myriads of myriads of angels are there. Whom is God first loosening this book for and showing what's going to happen on planet earth? Who is he showing first? Not John, the 24 elders, the four living creatures, and all the angels. He's showing the heavenly intelligences what's going to transpire on planet earth. Why are we privileged to it? Because John was invited to come up and look over their shoulders and watch this presentation. Do you think they have an interest in heaven and what's going on on planet earth? Yeah, are there things that are happening here that angels long to look into? Yes. Understand that this presentation is primarily for the angels. We're getting it because John was invited to participate in this presentation. It says, Then I saw the Lamb. He broke one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a, loud, with a voice of thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. When he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come, and another, a red horse went out. And to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men would slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. Then he broke the third seal, and I heard the third living creature saying, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like the voice of, in the center of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, three quarts of barley for a denarius, denarius and do not damage the oil and the wine. Then the the lamb broke the fourth seal and I heard the fourth, the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked and behold an ashen horse and he who sat on it had the name of death and Hades was following him and authority was given him over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with the famine and with pestilence by the wild beasts of the earth. It says when the lamb broke the fifth seal and we'll pause there because there's first four, those first four horses. Who are those horses? The four horsemen, who are they? The Bible tells us, go to Zechariah chapter 1. Zechariah saw these four horses as well. And it says in verse 10, do you see Zechariah 1, 7 through 11 there in your gray area? In verse 10, the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered and said, these are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. Are you with me? Do we need to add to it? No, let's just take what the Bible says. Amen. These are the four horsemen of heaven. They are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol to the earth. So he answered the angel of the Lord who's standing among the myrtle trees and said, this is what they said to him. We've patrolled the earth and behold, all the earth is peaceful and what? 
Then we go to Zechariah 6. Six chapters later, Zechariah sees them again. Verse 5. Go with me down to verse 5. It says, the angel replied to me, these are the four what? The four spirits of heaven going forth after standing before the Lord of all the earth with with one of which the black horses are going forth to the north country and the white ones go forth after them while the dappled ones go forth to the south country. Then the strong ones went out and they were eager to go and to patrol the earth. And he said, go patrol the earth. So they patrolled the earth. Do you remember Israel before his name was Israel? Jacob, do you remember Jacob's night? When he was laying down on the rock pillow and how the heavens opened. And what did he see in vision? He saw a ladder. And what did he see on that ladder? Angels going up and coming down. Are there beings going out and coming back constantly from the kingdom of heaven? Patrolling, sending blessings, telling God what's going on, bringing back, giving reports and bringing back blessings. Are there? And these four horses, it seems from Zechariah, are part of that. They are four spirits. It is a curious idea. Not one which we're going to broach tonight, but I appreciate you bringing it up. And it says, with each one of these, there was something that took place. Let's scoot ahead to the fifth seal and then we're going to look at all of them. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, it says, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of the Lord and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And there was given to each of them a white robe and they were told, and we need to be careful here. I want to skip to the Young's literal translation in Revelation 6, verse 11. Skip down with me to it and the parentheses. There was given to each one white robes and it was said to them that they may rest themselves yet a little time till may be fulfilled also their fellow servants and their brethren who are about to be killed even as they. Does God want them to be killed? But as he prophesied, there would be persecution in the kingdom. Yes. Would Satan and his kingdom persecute God and his? Yes. And what would be the result of that? What's the result of religious persecution? If God's people remains faithful, what is the result? The revelation of the character of God. Do you remember? Do you remember how that works? When you suffer this much and yet you respond with unconditional love to your persecutors, who's being revealed? Whose love is being revealed in that moment? God's. Where is the greatest revelation of God's character ever given to planet Earth? Was it not Calvary? And what was taking place but persecution and love responding? It's easy to love someone when they're nice to you, amen? But you really see how much they love you when you persecute them and they love you anyways. So yes, we will be persecuted, but God uses that persecution to show the depth of his love for, those who, uh, for, for his enemies, amen? Let's go further. Skip over with me. It says, then I looked and when he broke the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake and the sun became, what does it say? Black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as fig trees cast its unripe figs when it was shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it's rolled up. Every mountain and island were moved out of their place. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and every free man, they hid themselves in the what? 
in the caves and in the rocks. And they said, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? I want you to pay close attention to this imagery as well. What is a lamb, brothers and sisters? What kind of a sheep? A baby sheep. Are you with me? Anybody here ever run from an angry baby sheep? Do you catch the imagery? Is God returning in anger? No. He's coming back as the lamb who was slain for their sins. And what do you think the expression is on the face of him who's sitting on the throne? Love. And yet they turn and they run. Why are they running? Write this verse down. Proverbs 28 verse 1 says the wicked flee. When no one's pursuing them. The wicked run away. When no one's chasing. In the Garden of Eden. Did this take place as well? God showed up. And what did Adam and Eve do? They ran and they hid. And why did they run and hide? Because God was coming to kill them? Did they think that? But was he? No. They ran and they hid. And God comes out. And the very first thing he does is he asks. Asks a question. Why does a God who knows everything ask questions? He asks the question, and what's the question? I would like to suggest the reason he asks that question is because it's not because he doesn't know where they're at. Does he know where they're at? He knows the exact address of the bush behind which Adam and Eve are hiding, correct? Yeah. He's not trying to get information. He's trying to give, communicate something. What is he trying to communicate here? Adam and Eve are afraid. What is he trying to tell them? You don't have a reason to be afraid. And how do we know that? Because he said, Adam... With tears in his voice. Where are you? And how do we know he said it with tears in his voice? The Bible just lists the words. It doesn't give us voice inflection. Does it? How do we know that's the way he said it? Because if he would have stepped forward and said, Adam, where are you? Get out here. How do you think the rest of the story would have went? What would you have done if you were in Adam's position at that moment and God had spoken to you in that tone of voice? I don't know about you, but I would have found a better hiding place. But Adam heard something in the tone of God's voice that day that made him feel as if it was safe to come out from hiding. Amen? Amen. Adam stood forth. But ever since the Garden of Eden, we've been running from the wrong person. Do you see that? It's going to be repeated when Jesus returns. But why will it be? Because God's angry? Why will they run then? Anybody here ever sinned? Once again, anybody here? What does sin produce in us psychologically and emotionally? Guilt, shame, and fear. And the moment we see God, does that guilt and shame, that psychological torment, does it get lesser or greater? Greater. Is it what's going on in God's heart towards us? It, it's what's going on in our headspace. Amen? It's not what's going on in His. That's what God wants to liberate us from. How many would like to experience that through this series? That's what he wants to set us free from so we can look into the face of God one more time and live. But nonetheless, they run and they hide. Before we go into Revelation 7, I want us to notice these these seals so far. The first seal, what color was the horse? It was white. He went forth conquering and to conquer. The second seal was red. And what came with it? Yeah, it took away pig. There was bloodshed. There was strife. There was warfare. 
The next one, the third horse, what color was it? Black. And what did he bring with him? Famine. Desolation. And in the fourth one, what color was it? Kind of a pale horse. Yeah, ash. And what came with him? Death. And the grave followed with him. Do you realize that Jesus taught this? Jesus actually preached a sermon on the four horses. Have you ever seen it? Anyone ever seen it? How many are familiar with the Gospels? Jesus preached a commentary on the four horsemen. He preached a commentary on all these seals. Because remember, these seals are only symbolic. You know, we ran out of room. But the fifth seal, what happens? Fifth seal, do you remember? Martyrs. There's religious persecution. And then you have the sixth seal. And what is that symbolic of? Remember, the, the, the sky opens up. And who's coming back? Yeah, the Father and the Son. Him who sits on the throne and the Lamb. Jesus prophesied about this as well in Matthew 24. Notice what it says. He was sitting on the Mount of Olives. And the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of the coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am the what? I am the Christ and will mislead how many? Many. The first thing Jesus said would happen is there would be false Christ. Well, if there's false Christ, what does that imply? There's also a true one. Amen. In this white horse, what did it symbolize? The gospel of God, the truth about God going forth to conquer and to conquer. But then look what happens next according to this prophecy. Strife and... What did Jesus say would happen after these false Christs came? He says, you will be hearing of what? Wars and rumors of war. See that you are not frightened. Those things must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be what happens next. Famines and earthquakes. Did that happen next in the seals? See, what God has said, what Jesus was saying to the disciples, this is so wild. He's just giving them the order of how things are going to transpire between then and the second coming. Then when he goes to heaven, he shares with the angels through this symbol of the seals, the same order. Do you see that so far? So far is it the same order? The same order of how things are going to unfold before Jesus returns. He says there will be, where did we leave off? Famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then what happens next? Jesus says, then they will deliver you to what? What did we see happen next? Do you see the order here? Isn't that interesting? Has anyone ever seen that before? Matthew 24 covers the same exact ground that the seven seals does. And it says, then they will deliver you to tribulation. They will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many will fall away. He goes on and on and on. And then in verse 29, notice what it says. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be what? What is repeated under the sixth seal? Was the sun darkened? 
And notice what else Jesus says. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. Is that what we saw happen after the persecution? Interesting. The same exact order of events. There's something else I want you to realize about this. About the opening of these seals. For years, well, I well, I shouldn't say that. I know my introduction introduction to the seals was they were time time periods. In other words, the sixth seal opened and then it closed, and then the second seal opened and then it closed. Then the third seal opened and then it closed, and we got down to the seventh seal. And if that's the way it works, you get to the end. And you're done with it, but they've all opened and then what? Closed. So at the end, the book isn't opened. It's still closed. That's not how unsealing works, is it? Notice what's happening. The first seal opens. And how long does the gospel go forth? Until the second advent. Is that how long the gospel's going forth? Then the second seal opens. And how long does it open for? Talk to me. To the second advent. And what is this? If this is the gospel, what is this? Do you remember the second horse? Wars and rumors of wars. Then the third seal opens. And how long does it last? From its opening until the second coming. And what is happening in it? Famines. Just as Jesus said, there will be famines. There'd be earthquakes. Many would perish. You have death and the grave. And then you have, what did Jesus say? Persecution would take place just before he returns. Now, don't get me wrong. We've been persecuted for a long time. Amen. But during this period of persecution, just before he comes back, Something special is going to happen and we're going to get to that because once again, who is revealed always when Christians are persecuted? God and his love for humanity. And God is going to, through religious persecution, our in time events model provides a basis. We also believe as Adventists that we're going to be persecuted in the end as well. Amen? And what is the divine purpose for that? To test you to make sure you're good enough to get into the kingdom? No. What's the purpose of it? The last revelation of his character of love. Do you see that? And in the end, the last thing that happens is the sky opening. And what happens? Because this is just before the second coming, so it's right up next to it. Do you see that? Now we're going to go to Revelation 8 in a moment. But before we do that, we're focusing here on the second advent. After these things, well, before we read Revelation 7, what's the last question whereby which Revelation 6 closes? Who will be able to to stand? And the answer comes in an interlude in Revelation 7. Who's able to stand when Jesus returns? God's people? Or according to Revelation 7, what are they called? The hundred and forty-four thousand. 
And let's see what the Bible says and see if we can't clear up some misconception of them as well. It said, after this, I saw four angels standing in the four corners of the earth, holding back four winds, the four winds of the earth, that no wind should blow in the earth or on the sea or any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our, of our God on their what? Their foreheads. Where is the seal placed? In their foreheads. In their thinking. And we don't feel here. I know we say we do. But where else do we feel? Here. It all takes place right here. Notice what else. I heard the number. Now this is it. Can I erase this? No, I can't erase that. I need to start asking churches for two whiteboards. How's that? No, I won't flip it over because there's writing on the back too. But I want you to underline this. Okay, well, let's do it this way. You underline it. It says, I heard. Circle the word heard. I heard the, what's the next word in bold? The number of those who were sealed, 144,000, sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then it lists them all except for Dan. Why doesn't it list Dan? Because he was a backbiter. There is no room for judgmental, criticizing, backbiting in God's kingdom. Do you understand that? And it is high time that we stop tolerating it among us as Christians. This is a, this is a group that has been brought into existence to show forth God's love and acceptance. Amen? Not judging one another and criticizing one another. The church is to become a safe place for sinners to be healed. Not judged. But notice you have, he heard the number, and it was of every tribe of the son of, sons of Israel. Now, after these things, I what? Looked. What does looked parallel with? Heard. He looked. He heard it. Now he turns and he what? See, he hears about this group of people. Then he turns and he sees them. It says, I looked and behold a, a number, a great multitude which no one could count. Are you with me? See, he hears the description, the symbolic description, but then he turns and sees them literally. It says of, does every tribe of the sons of Israel, is that what it says? No, but every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues. Yes, yeah, symbolic description, then literal. Standing before the throne. Before the lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. What is the message of the 144,000? What is it? Stop eating cheese. I'm not saying cheese is healthy for you, but is that the message of the 144,000? What, what is it that they're saying? Salvation... To our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who are they concerned about? They're not even concerned about their own salvation. They want salvation to go to who? To God. Who are they concerned with? They want Him to be saved. Saved from what? Misconceptions. You've got it. Romans 3. That thou, verses 3 and 4, write that down, you can look at it later. That thou mayest be 
justified when thou art judged. The 144,000's primary concern is not themselves, but the vindication of the God that they love. That's their passion. That's everything they talk about. It's everything they do. It's for the glory and honor of God because they want salvation. As God has given salvation to them, they want salvation to also be to their God and to the Lamb. Isn't that precious? And it says... I lost my place. Yes, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. Remember, we're still in that throne room. They're still here watching all of this. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen. You know, all heaven wants God to be vindicated too, don't they? Amen, they said. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. They add to it. Do you see that? The 144,000, they said, salvation be to our God. And the rest of them say, and all this stuff too. Everybody in heaven is in love with their God. I can't wait to be there, amen. And then one of the elders said, and why are they in love with him? Why do they love him so much? Because they tasted of how much He loves them. Does He love us? Far more than we'll ever love Him. Then one of the elders answered saying to me, These who are clothed in white robes, who are they? Where have they come from? And I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who've come out of the great what? Or can I throw an Adventist term in there? What's another word for tribulation? Maybe. That's it. These are the ones that have come out of the great controversy regarding the character of God. These are the ones that made it. These are the ones that refused to believe the lie, but fought the fight of faith and believed that God was who he said he was. How many want to be a part of that group? You know what that means? I don't know about you, but I've heard sermons on the 144,000 before. And when it all comes down to it, I walk away with this feeling. If I'm going to be a part of the 144,000, then I'd better pull up on my bootstraps and get my act together. Anybody ever had that impression when you've gone away from one of those presentations? But what I'm seeing here biblically is that the 144,000 are people that have come to know their God and they love Him because they realize how much they're loved. In other words, the qualification for being in this group is not how perfect you are, it's how perfect you understand Him to be. It's an experience in His perfect love. Do you see the difference? How do we know that? Because there's another description of the 144,000. They do. They come out of the great controversy, out of the great tribulation. It says, Then I looked, and behold, Revelation 14, 1 through 5, in the gray area. I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his what? Name, and the name of his Father written on their what? Forehead. What was placed in their foreheads? A seal. And what was being sealed there in their foreheads according to chapter 14? God's name. And what is the name symbolic of in scripture? His character. They know beyond a shadow of a doubt the truth of his love and what he's truly like. Do they want him to be saved from misconceptions and and lies? Yes. Are they concerned with Him? Yes. Do they have an experience with Him and His love? Yes. Have they come out of the great controversy believing the truth? 
Yes, they have the Father's name sealed on their foreheads. Do you know what we need to be about? If we want to be a part of the 144,000, do you know what needs to be our paramount concern? That today we know the love with which we are loved. That needs to be our focus. That needs to be our passion. And someone says, well, Herb, that that just sounds like you can go out. And so many people say this to me. They say, that just sounds like you can just say, well, that they just know God's love. That's all that matters. They can just go out and do whatever they want as long as they know God loves them. It's true. Sorry, it's true. Because if you really knew how much God loves you, what you would want to do would change too, would it not? Wouldn't it? Would you want to do the things that hurt him? Everything comes down to whether or not you really believe how much God loves you. There's going to be a people who fight the fight of faith, who finally believe it. It's going to be a great multitude, which no one can count, amen? Of every nation and all the tribes and peoples and tongues. A mixed multitude, as some call it. They'll gain the victory. These are the ones... Who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes. Made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason they are before the throne of God. They serve Him day and night. Who sits on the throne. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer. Nor thirst anymore. Nor will sun beat down on them. Remember this planet has gone through what it has. And now all the universe sees what God's really like. And none of this will ever happen again. Amen? It says, For the lambs in the the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And do you remember the description we had of this lamb in the center of the throne? He had seven eyes and seven horns. What do you think were filling those eyes, having perfect perception of all the pain on this planet, having all power to stop it, but not being able to yet? What do you think was in his eyes? tears notice what it says here's this one who's sitting on the throne who is that that's god the father there's a lamb before the throne who is that jesus and remember there's tears in jesus eyes too isn't there it says they will they speaking of let's back up for this reason they are before the throne of god they serve him day and night in the temple who sits on on the throne who he will spread his tabernacle over them they will hunger no longer nor thirst anymore nor will the sun beat down on them nor any heat for the lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd and will guide them to the springs of the water of life and god the one who's sitting on the throne will wipe every tear from what does it say their eyes who's with the lamb in this group God's people the 144,000 from every tribe every nation those who have made it through the redeemed and who's there with the 144,000 the lamb and have they both shed tears Over what's taken place on this planet. And God will wipe away. The tears of both the 144,000. And the lamb. On that day. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. And then we come to that eighth seal. It opens. And the only description we're given is then when it opened, remember, there was silence in heaven 
for about half an hour. I don't know what the angel saw when that seal was opened. I don't know what John saw when that seal was opened. I don't know what they saw was going to happen. And actually, I would venture to say that the end is not the second advent. But the end here is the end of sin. Are you with me? And as this seal opens, this final one, this place of half an hour, space of half an hour before the opening... As they watched and as they saw it, when that seventh seal was broke, the elders, the four living creatures, the myriads and myriads of angels, the lamb that's there slain, and the one on the throne, and John as well, they're all standing there. And when that seal opens, there's silence in heaven for a half an hour. Why were they silent? For a half an hour. When they saw that seal open. When they saw the final thing that would take place. Before the end of sin. Before sin was done away with. Why would they be silent? What do you think they saw? Possibly. What else? Yeah they were awestruck. What else? Do you know there was, one, there was only one other time in scripture. Where heaven was silent. When Jesus was on the cross. And as heaven looks at what's going to happen. At the very end of this experiment with sin. They see God's kingdom being vindicated. They see God being glorified. And that does fill them with awe. When they see the truth about him. Amen. But at the same time. There are those that have rejected him. And what do they see is going to happen to them. Did Jesus suffer what sinners will suffer when mercy no longer pleads for a guilty race? Did he? And when humanity suffered in Christ at that level, was heaven silent? And when sinners are destroyed again, heaven doesn't rejoice. Heaven weeps, doesn't it? And they're silent. And what we see next... In the book of Revelation tomorrow night. What we see is. Whatever they saw here. Caused them to grab trumpets. And assign them to seven angels. To come forth and warn the earth. Of this. So that nobody. Has to perish. Amen. What we're about to see in the book of Revelation. Is heaven. Now heaven's been shown what's going to happen and how it's going to end. That's what the seven seals were all about. Heaven sees it. John's privileged to see it with them. And now we're going to see heaven ignite into a flurry of activity and trumpets sounding to warn planet Earth. Because God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Amen. His chief desire is that they would turn from their evil ways and live. Come back tomorrow night. Let's pray. Precious Father, thank you for your goodness tonight. Thank you for your love. And Father, we know that just before you recreate this world again and sin is no more, there will come deep pain and a deep sense of loss to you 
into all heaven when those who have rejected you will perish. Father, my prayer is that in our own lives we will fall so deeply in love with you and with those around us that you love that we too would not be content to sit silent and let them perish, but that we would sound forth the alert, sound forth the alarm, and seek to warn them of what's coming. Father, truly you love them, you love us. You feel nothing different between those who are in church and those who are outside. Father, teach us to feel the same. And Father, we look forward too to what you're going to do in our hearts, to where we're no longer concerned about ourselves, but only the proclamation of the truth about who and what you truly are. Bless us to that end, Father. In your holy name we pray. Amen.